Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hey, welcome to episode 10 of Culture Fear. Um, mad that we've got to double figures. Hope you're well. It's been, feels like it's been ages since the last time I sat down and spoke through one of these. Um, it's been a hectic time. I finished my exams. I organised a football competition, which was last Saturday, as I'm talking, which was great. I've done it uh, every year for the last five years. Um, it was great, 20 teams, so I guess there was at least 120 people playing football, which was amazing. It was so effortless, um, the day, which I guess is kind of, they weren't always effortless. So thank you for the friends that um, helped me with the organisation and sorting things out on the day, um, and for like chatting to me as and when, making sure I was alright and how everything was. Thank you to everyone that played. Managed to raise, I guess at last count, just over £700 for a charity, which is amazing, really. Um, that The charity that's getting the money is um, Mermaids. Um, check them out, I'll uh, tweet them. Yeah, that'll probably be the last one that I do. Um, part of me feels a bit selfish, especially when I was counting up the money for charity. But um, yeah, moving away, and um, it is quite a huge undertaking to do. Um, so I guess it's drawing a line under it now. But um, yeah, thank you for everyone that's always been a part of that. It's been quite a huge uh, thing for me the last uh, five years. So yeah, cheers. Um, <clears throat> went down to Folkestone and ate at Sam from episode nine's um, new restaurant, Sister Satan. It was incredible. Um, if you ever find yourself in Folkestone, head down. If you find yourself in Kent, it's worth the trip. It was really, really great. Check them out. So this episode, I sit down and chat with my friend Marty from Anna's Anchor. Just a content warning. He does talk about suicide. He talks about alcoholism. Uh, he talks about a lot of mental health kind of stuff. If that is the kind of stuff that you don't really want to listen to, I'd probably recommend not going in on this. Um, and apologies for that. But um, yeah, we had a very... Well, Marty was, spoke very honestly and frankly. Um, and I think he's, yeah, I'm glad that he felt like, that he could. And, um, yeah, we, we had a great chat about a lot of things as well as that. <clears throat> um, I was lucky enough, I met Marty last year, uh, no, two years ago, maybe a, a few years ago anyway. Um, he asked um, my band, uh, the band that I was in at the time, if we wanted to go over to Ireland and play some shows, which... Um, we did, and which was incredible. And then um, we came back and toured the UK together um, with Anna Zanka. And he's honestly, um, <clears throat> people always seem to say, oh, this band's so hardworking, they deserve so much kind of thing. I don't really buy into that. Um, you know, a lot of people, incredible musicians, um, don't get the chance to be, you know, hashtag hardworking because they literally can't, they don't have the means to take all that time off, to have that extra money. Um, so that's not really something that, yeah, I buy into too much. But 
if you do, then look no further than Marty. He's just played his 200th show. Um, and he honestly is just, every, he lives and breathes the music that he makes, the music that he plays, um, and also getting people to his city of Limerick. Um, yeah, so um, it was great to talk to him about that, where he finds his drive. Um, he, and he has a new album out that is coming out in September, which has since been announced and the first single's out, which you'll hear at the end of this podcast. Um, which is coming out on Failure by Design. Um, great label. Worth checking out if you're into like the kind of pop-punk, emo kind of stuff. Um, I'm excited that their first LP on vinyl is going to be this LP. Um, I think, yeah, if you listen to the single, I think you'll agree. It's amazing. It sounds brilliant. Uh, really worth your time. So, yeah, check them, check them out. Check out the record. I hope you enjoy the chat. If you do... Um, please tell your friends, tell everyone that you think might enjoy it because the more people that listen, the cooler it, well, you know, it's cool if more people listen. Um, review us on iTunes if you're listening through um, Apple. Yeah, share it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I won't ramble anymore. Take care of yourself. Peace. Hello, Marty. How are you? Hello, Sean. How are things? I'm good. What? How are you? I'm all right. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Feeling good? Yeah, great. A cool. little, little bit tired if I was to be, okay, if it was okay for me to complain a small bit, but... Uh, how, why are you tired? What have you been up to? Um, so we're on tour at the moment with Sean McGowan, which is why I'm here in Kingston. And I got the ferry last night. Well, I left Limerick at like t- half ten last night. And it's now half four, and I've been just been traveling straight. So, drove from Limerick to Dublin, and then got the two a.m. ferry from Dublin to Hollyhead, which I know is doesn't make sense uh, geographically, but the ferry times didn't make it possible to go from uh, South Wales, so I had to drive from North Wales down to Southampton, pick up Sean and Dean, who plays guitar with him, and then drive back up to Kingston. And here we are now. Okay. Like 16 hours later. Or Added a few miles to the, uh, what's, what's, your, what's your fan called? Um, it, well, like what's, what's, what's the make it? or what do I call it? What do you call it? Well, I call it William Wallace or Bill because okay. it's big and blue and has freedom written on it because it used to be a wheelchair accessible vehicle and the company that retrofits it puts their tag on it, which is freedom, which to me seems a little bit harsh on people yeah. that are yeah so um yeah added a few miles to to old bill yeah for sure fair enough um so you you played a show in london as part of this tour what a week two weeks ago and yeah. now you've got how, how long are you out with sean mcgowan uh we have 14 more shows so it's 15 in total including that one there the other week with um or in in london so uh yeah i think we have 14 shows in the next 14 days so it's like pretty exciting, yeah. It's like first, I guess first like kind of bigger support tour I've ever gotten to do, and definitely like like we toured the UK with yourselves, and I think we probably did like six or seven dates. Yeah. And I've toured it with Brighter before, and also myself last September. But it's always been like six or seven shows, just like the the big cities, you know, like Manchester, Glasgow, Cardiff. Yeah. Um, and but I've never gotten to play like s- smaller places like. Oxford or Cambridge or Exeter. You were playing Winchester as well. Um, 
yeah, we're playing Sheffield this time around as well. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, if anyone from Sheffield's listening, I know that Sheffield's a big city, so don't worry. Winchester. Yeah, Winchester is a little bit smaller. Yeah, cool. Um, so a few places that you've never been, that'd be exciting. Yeah, loads. You've played like half the towns before and then half are new, so yeah. that's pretty exciting. I guess Kingston's going to be new for you this evening. Yeah, first time playing Kingston. Yeah, really excited for it. Um, especially fighting Cox is like... To, for me growing up in Ireland anyway it's like like most of the kind of I'll call them like mid-level punk bands which is what I listen to all the time don't come to Ireland because it's just so fucking expensive with the ferry yeah. um, so like like most of my access to those bands has just been like watching videos on YouTube of Banquet Records <laughs> or in Fighting Cock so it's like really exciting to actually finally get to play there that's cool that'd be cool um so uh whereabouts so you so you, you drove from limerick that's where you're from right yeah that's it born in limerick yeah born and bred cool um i don't city. think people from the uk know much about limerick tell me a bit about limerick yeah i mean like it's like anything like most people if you're not from a country you seem to just know about the capital being dublin so most people would like predominantly yeah, no, maybe Cork. Yeah, maybe like Belfast as well. But uh, well, Limerick is like the... Well, there's kind of a toss-up and constant argument as to whether Limerick is bigger than Galway. Um, there's like some ambiguity in terms of the like the, the the stats. But Limerick, like Dublin is obviously... If you're talking Republic of Ireland, Dublin's the, the biggest city. Then you have Cork after that. And then it's a toss-up between Limerick or Galway. I mean, the, the city centre itself, you're talking... Um, like around a hundred thousand people, and it's around that size. So it's like it's it's small enough town, but it still it still does feel like a city. And I think like well, you you've you've been there yourself. Like Limerick's a bit of an anomaly. Like it's like it's not like any other place in the world, and <laughs> the people are very different. Uh, yeah, it's got a bit of a reputation reputation that precedes it, right? Yeah, yeah. Which sounds like it's a bit on. Um unjustified all like 100% I feel like I've spent like a lifetime trying to tell people that like it's not like if if people ever know about Limerick it's well it used to only ever be one thing it would have been because of Stab City uh which like uh this is my take on it um anyway is like kind of in the in the 90s there was a a couple of drugs gangs like family feuds and um there was like pretty high murder rate and it was all pretty much gang related you know like limerick still wasn't that terribly violent of a place you know yeah but that kind civilians of civilians like, weren't necessarily in not not for oh. the most part anyway you know it was like very gang related um these like feuding families one of which i should say was a scottish family who literally just like came over and were like we're taking over this turf so it's not even problem wasn't even kicked off by fucking limerick people and um for one year anyway like there were so many murders that it gave limerick the highest um murder per capita ratio in europe and then like once the media in dublin got a hold of that like they just like fucking ran with it and like the reputation has stuck since and like it is like genuinely like it does like upset me so like, you'll meet people like I don't want to be like calling out Dublin, but like <laughs> a, a lot of the time, like it will come from people like in Dublin that have never been to Limerick and they'll be like the first people to be like, oh, Stab City, yeah, that's definitely the worst place in Ireland. It's like, you haven't, you've never been there. 
So you don't know. And the crime rate in Dublin is way higher because it's a way bigger city. Um, but I mean, Limerick does have, like, it has so many amazing things, but I feel like the reputation has just stunted its growth so much. Like, um, we don't really get that much tourists. You know, Galway gets tons of tourists. I'm obviously very biased, but I do think Limerick has, like, way better attractions than Galway does. Well, okay. But... But still, you know, everyone will go to Galway and people will <clears throat> and people will avoid Limerick. Um, at the moment, I will say, like, and how long? It's been, like, two years since you were in Limerick? Uh, uh, or, well, I went over last year, but... Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, but, I forgot you yeah. were there last year. Yeah. Um, but let's say, if you're comparing when we went on tour and to now, like, Limerick has changed so much. It is, like, pretty booming at the moment. Um, I think largely due to... Obviously, the general economy in Ireland is getting better. Yeah. But, like... Dublin is like already max max expansion yeah. or like more like there isn't the room for Dublin to expand there isn't that much for Galway to expand either Cork's like always been you know the the second biggest city and has always been like pretty prosperous so in terms of like the already existing cities like Limerick is the only kind of real one where there is room for like major expansion so it's like there's new pubs opening up like literally every week oh, and, amazing. and there's like big businesses coming yeah. in like uber have moved one of their kind of larger um like call center slash headquarters into limerick city and that's like so you won't be seeing the uh the tax profits from that but there's people getting jobs in exactly limerick, yeah i mean there's employing people in like the should even like the the block that uber took over i mean they're probably like qu- uh, quite an unethical company so probably shouldn't be like <laughs> being yeah, so quick to sing their praises but you know the, it, like it's brought a, a large amount of people to the city center flip side of that now though is that there's lots of jobs in limerick and there's been no development in housing and rent is going through the fucking roof so i mean it doesn't come without its pitfalls yeah but, i guess it's only because um get uh get worse or better the either side of that thing with because um i see that like games of game of thrones is moving from northern ireland to limerick isn't it yeah i mean the, yeah that's, that's like pretty so, pretty huge one yeah so there's troy studios opened up where um it's actually like only like less than half a mile from where i grew up um it was this old dell factory and dell um i suppose it might have been around the time of the downturn um basically moved all their operations to Poland because it was way cheaper. And it's just left this massive, massive building that's just been just left there since. But yeah. uh, but then recently, the people that do Game of Thrones have taken it over and they started filming this, like, the, the new replacement to Game of Thrones. Okay. I, I forget what it's called. It's like... Mm. How, how was um, growing up in uh, around Limerick? I guess as, and when was it, the downturn must have been... What, when you were finishing school or uh yeah it was like pretty much just as i was finishing secondary school so i mean i'm like probably pretty lucky time wise because you know um the like bad period was when i was in university so didn't really impact myself in terms of you know getting work because um you know i was going into college but i mean yeah like so many people emigrated it's unbelievable um but I mean, we're like f- pretty fortunate enough. I mean, like my family was obviously like across the board, the entire country, things were tough, but yeah. at least like my parents still worked throughout it. So okay. in terms of the downturn is 
like pretty lucky and very fortunate that like it came along at the stage where I was just starting university anyway. So kind of like skipped it a little bit because by the time I was finished university, then things had like picked up a little bit. Yeah. So who was your family unit as a, are you an only child? Yeah, I'm an only child. So it's obviously just me and my, my mother and my dad, my grandparents on my mother's side live next door. My father's um, parents had passed away before I was born. Um, my dad has um, one sister. Um, so it's like, like pr- pretty, pretty small yeah. family. Um, like even like the greater family, there isn't like, isn't that that many of us really. So that's like kind of a little bit of a a, a weird one, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess because um, I met your dad, um, he came to, um, so when I went to Ireland with, um, my band, we toured with Marty and uh, we played the record, his first album, um, the release show. And your your dad came, didn't mm-hmm. didn't he? And I saw that you were recording him playing music recently. Yeah, yeah, just the other day, actually. So my, like, should actually say as well, my band name is Anna's Anchor. That's terrible uh, self-promotion. I mean, we'll have an there. intro, so okay. they'll be I aware. I can trust that you're going to put an intro in. Um, yeah, so my grand aunt, um, so my dad's, and she lives in Texas, and um, my aunt um, is, or she's over there now, is going over to visit her. So my dad just like wanted to record a couple of songs to send over to her. Okay. So I recently like bought a bunch of gear prior to recording um, uh, our like second album. So I recorded a few songs from him. It was actually it was like pretty fun. Yeah. So has he always played music? Like growing up, was he playing music? Uh, yeah. I mean, like he's always like played acoustic guitar and like played in pubs and stuff um i think like my dad's the like type of person where he'll like pick up a certain hobby and like really pursue it for like a couple of years and then like put it down and then move on to something else like he was really into like old cars and like doing them up for a good while and then that kind of took a back seat and then he was like back playing music again but um i mean like that would have been my entry point um I think when I was like maybe I think it was probably like 10 initially because like he would have been he had this like uh, Echo acoustic guitar or like an Italian company it's like big black thing it looked like something that Johnny Cash uh, would play and I was like somewhat enamored by that Yeah. so I just asked him like could he teach me how to play and he was trying to teach me all these like old folk songs which I had absolutely no interest in learning so I put it down basically and and that was that for a couple of years and then a few years later i went to irish college which um for your listeners that aren't in ireland it's like it's basically like a summer camp but for irish speaking like speaking gaelic okay. so you like you go to this school for like uh, i think it's like a month or five weeks and um you like you do classes during the day, but they're all like really fun classes in Gaelic as well. The class and everything's in Irish. You don't speak uh, literally. You don't speak a word of English the entire five weeks you're there. But like it's like looking back is like one of my most fondest memories because yeah. you're just like hanging out with a bunch of kids all your own age, living together, and like all you have to do is just go to these classes during the day, which involved you know like just doing like sports yeah. or like coming up with like a little play or something. And then, like, in the evenings, they do, like, Irish dancing Kayleys, they call them. Okay. Just, like, mini weird-ass disco, which involves courting the 
acid okay. sex. So for someone who was like 14, it's like... Quite formative, was it? Can't really ask for much more than that, really, can you? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you still speak? Can you speak Gaelic? Was you ever fluent? Uh, like I, So I suppose I should say, right, um, the first time I went to Irish college, um, myself and my friend Kev, and we went to this one called Ishga, which was in Mayo, which was like this like water sports based one, which like sounded awesome. But it was basically myself, Kev, and then just like a couple of hundred of D4s, like Dublin 4, like really posh part of Dublin. Oh, okay. Um, so I guess like hard Limerick Edge did not get on with the D4s yeah. whatsoever. And then did not speak Irish and basically got thrown out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I went back the following year then to a different Irish college and um, went back with a different friend, Ollie. And um, so like when I went there the first time, I didn't fucking speak any Irish. And I did my junior cert, which is like a little bit like your GCSEs, but it comes earlier. You're doing okay. it when you're like 14. Yeah. And um, I really struggled with it, my like junior cert. And then the year after um, I did, I went to the other Irish college and didn't speak a word of English and after the, the four or five weeks I was completely fluent I never had to study Irish again when it came to the, doing my equivalent of A-levels in yeah. Irish like I did honours level which not that many people do and like I didn't have to study because like I could speak it you know it was like yeah, yeah. They, they give you a piece of text and say like write a whatever in, in relation to this text and like if, if you know the language it's like you don't have to study that but it's it's interesting because the Irish language is very much dying out and since I finished school, I literally haven't spoken a word and I definitely wouldn't consider myself fluent now. But like back then, I would have considered myself fluent. And like the way it's taught in schools is a bit of a joke. It's like you're taught how to learn off essays and then just try and regurgitate that onto a page in an exam oh, wow. in a way that somewhat suits the question that's being asked. You're actually not being taught like how to... Yeah. speak the language Not at all practical um but like so yeah I, I like i did and i i did really enjoy it but like i said like i haven't used it since and i've had no like mean or not means but no need to speak it i was never that into languages that i go out and you know try and find other people that spoke it because there are people like societies that will meet up and yeah. speak about it but like you're talking like really small numbers. I know that um, where my auntie and uncle live in Kerry, um, I think all, if not a lot of the local schools are exclusively Gaelic apart from English lessons. Yeah, so we called a Gaeltacht is the name. So they're areas that have, they're like small p little pockets of communities that have held on to it as the main language. Um, all the schools speak it. There are schools that speak Irish throughout the country as well. Yeah. But in, in the Gaeltacht, like, you know, Irish is the, the main language and that's where these Irish college summer camps are. It's in okay. there. Yeah. So it's like um where where is it? Down in um Dingle on Dangan. Yeah. I assume that's where you're yeah, yeah, yeah. from. Yeah, I mean there's an Irish college down there as well. Okay. Uh, where people have done similar things. Um, yeah, interesting because um I guess they're saying like um there's like some children that go to school and learn Gaelic and they get home and speak to their grandparents fluently. And they're like their parents, the like in between generation, have no idea what's been said because oh, yeah. they never really learnt the Gaelic, and it was only recently, I guess, from what I'm hearing about some of the people, that because they have to go through school speaking Gaelic, um, 
the the kids they know it, but the parents didn't have to do that. Yeah. And the grandparents didn't teach the children their children Gaelic mm-hmm. because there was no need need to, I guess. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, there has been, like, somewhat of a kickback and somewhat of a revival. And there's also incentives now as well. So, like, if you do your leaving certs or your A-levels in Irish, so, you know, like, your history is in the Irish language, you get, like, you know, an extra, like, 10 or 15% if you just do it in Irish. Yeah, I know Wales, I think you get uh, tax incentives okay. to learn uh, Welsh. But um, moving on, um, so Anna Zanka is a band that only you're in. Is that how you describe it? How would you describe... At this point, I don't even know how to describe it, really. Like, basically, it started out as a solo project, but I didn't want it to be the just an acoustic thing, you know? So I, I wanted to sound like a band. But, well, I suppose I should actually specify that, uh, like, I, I wanted to... I was basically fed up of being in bands with other people as like really mean as that sounds. Okay. Um, like let's say my previous band that I was in had kind of come to a halt because everyone had different like commitment levels, you know, and I really wanted to push it and make a go of it and other people didn't. So I kind of thought like, well, if I'm the only member, I will be the only person holding it back, you know, yeah. so I can pursue it as much as I want. So the kind of initial idea was like, look, I'll record the songs full band. I'll get a friend to play drums. I'll track everything else myself on the record. It'll sound like a full band. And then I can go away and just tour it myself. And I can tour as much as I want because it's only me. And it'll also cost way less and I can get it off the ground a lot easier. It'll only be myself calling the shots, you know, so I won't have to be waiting around for other people, other decisions. Uh, which I know is like a very like pig-headed mentality, but um, that was just like my thinking at the time. Um, since now, like that was like the first two years of it. And then um, when it came to like releasing the first album, um, like my friends are kind of saying like, you really should be touring this full band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you kind of owe it to yourself, like you've put in this much effort. And then I was kind of like, well, if I'm going having to tour it you're going to have to be the ones to play with me so then we did do full band tour with yourself and um and like i guess since writing the first album and that tour brian brian scally okay the, the man himself ganglions aka best drummer in the world he's going to cringe at that uh i do feel like brian has been like more and more involved and um he wrote a new album which is um, hopefully going to come out in September and like I would definitely consider you know like me and Brian wrote it together you know yeah and he's um, Anna he's part I, he's in the band I guess so like I don't know we haven't like had that conversation yet like I don't know like the way I kind of see it it's like it's just like a project you know and I happen to be in the middle of it and it's like something for like me and my friends and whoever you know whoever it suits at any particular time, you know, and it works, you know, yeah. more than welcome to be involved. And I want them to be involved in something for all of us. And, um, and just like literally taking that face value, like, okay, great. This is this fun thing to do at this time where we can all hang out because we normally don't get to hang out. We can write a record or we can tour or I can just go out and tour myself, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's really it. Like, it's a weird one. It confuses a lot of people, you know, like some people will show up and it's like, where's the band? Like, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Not tonight. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, do you still feel comfortable with it being acoustic? Like, or would... Yeah. Um, it's because the mean first like touring record acoustic and thing? the second record is... They're both 80-90% full band. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm happy to tour acoustically. Like, I do really enjoy it. And, like, there's so much less headaches involved. But, like, that said, like, the songs aren't made to be played acoustically at all, really. There's a handful that work well acoustically, which is convenient. So then I can go out and hit the road myself. But, like, I do really think, like, the songs, like, they're, they're written full band. They're recorded full band. It's like in an ideal world, I would like to play full band all the time. Yeah. So how do you write a song, a full band song? on your own three months before you're playing music with Brian? Um, well, it's funny you say that now because like, I was only thinking there during the day, like how much time did myself and Brian actually spend in a room together? And for the entire second album, it was like three days that we spent actually playing, playing in the same room together. We we're obviously emailing stuff back and forth nonstop. Okay. But uh, like generally it just starts with me sitting down with an electric or an acoustic guitar and I'll, come up with a riff or a hook um recorded on my like memos and like revisited it um like previously it would have been just like coming up with a rhythm guitar part and then writing lyrics and a melody and then i'll just record that try and come up with a lead guitar line which i back then would have been kind of like what i was most comfortable with which is playing like lead anyway and then i just um send that on to brian and he played drums for the first album. An awful lot of the songs were like pretty much written before I'd even showed them to Brian. Okay. So it was very different this time around because this time around I was sending over just like riffs to, to Brian and he was like, oh, well, this would be cooler or you should cut out this or do that. So it was like very different this time around. Um, and then also I was like trying to do different things this time around. Like it sounds like so highfalutin, but I was like, think of just like, an emotion or just like a picture or an idea and like try and write music that sounded like that to me, you know, if if that makes sense. And then just like record it and leave it there. And then I also like separately would be like writing lyrics all the time. And then I'd try and like cross reference the list of like lyrics or ideas that I wanted songs to be about and see like, okay, well I wrote this uh, moody as fuck riff. Uh, Okay. I wanted to write this song. That's about a very moody thing. Combine the two write it or put it together and then then email it over to Scally and then whenever we could get in a the room then he just like play the drums um like I'm kind of like underselling his role there because like like initially I probably thought it was like we have like we're like both on the same wavelength musically that's how we could like bang these tracks out so quickly okay. but now I think it's just because like he is just like the best musician ever that he can just like know where the song is going um yeah and that's, that's like it in a nutshell and then when it comes to recording brian will lay down the drums i'll just track everything else myself then like any band would if they're multi-tracking yeah, except yeah. it's just me doing the instruments so you get that band um situation where there's not just you with the ideas there's an idea and it's thrown back and forth and forth so you still get that as well it's not 
which well especially in the second record yeah i mean it's second album yeah not so much in the first one to be honest um and even a lot of the songs had been like written and recorded in like a more stripped back version before we even like went to do the yeah. first album but for the second one yeah 100 percent. and like yeah like there's there's a few mathy parts thrown in there and that's that's all because the ideas were being bounced around which is nice and you know has like kept the the whole thing fresh really okay yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, you said um, about your like lyric process being quite like emotional, I guess, or thinking about emotion. They, to me, the lyrics always they're they're for the most part pretty. Is it autobiographical? Biogra- yeah, biographical. Yeah. Um, I Point, guess yeah. yeah, they're like situations and how that felt. Yeah, that's how it sounds like to me. How, oh yeah, is, is that the case? Or uh, yeah, hundred percent. It's just like stuff that's that's bothering me. Like basically, um, like I guess you're going back to like the family thing. Like the like main reason I started writing these songs was because I was going through like a really difficult patch in relation to my family. Um, so I just kind of just use it as like a mechanism to like somewhat deal with all of that stuff that was going on and. I've kind of continued in that fashion, like I was saying, like I'm an only child, um, so I don't have brothers or sisters to talk to. Yeah. We have a really small family, so I guess like, like analyzing like a lot of stuff gets kept in. Trying, so, yeah, what, trying to work things out it was quite hard, was it? Because you didn't have anyone to bounce. Extremely difficult. Off. So I mean, like, and like Anna's anchor is my means of doing that. Really, um, it's like, yeah, it's like the best means that I know how. Um, and like the first record and is like pretty much a concept from not a concept is like basically starts from when like your family life pretty much fell apart. Like my mother had a real struggle and still does with alcohol. Yeah. Um, and like it basically completely tore the family apart. And when I all, like didn't have brothers, sisters there already, like I took it really badly. Um, really really struggled it got me like super super down and like the first album basically like starts at that moment when i like like my lowest point in relation to trying to to deal with those issues and then it kind of like progresses through to the point where at the end of the album i feel like i'm in a better place which is when i had actually finished college and gotten a job and stuff um so like the whole like the first album nautical Mines, is like essentially dealing with um a family member who's having an addiction problem and like feeling like completely alone or not trusting anyone and like looking back in hindsight now like even though it's like i i consider it to be like a fairly sad album like there is hope at the end of it um but then falling on from it i think like now that a few years has passed i've like kind of like falling back into the same kind of same kind of moods i had back at the start it was kind of like the the rosy picture i painted at the end of the album um isn't really the case and that's like essentially what the entire second album is about really um yeah so do you think that obviously yeah so your first um the first time you're able to process these thoughts i guess where regard not just in your head is writing down for like your lyrics, mm-hmm. um, and then you said like I guess you came to did you feel like you had to come to that conclusion because it would 
work well in a round album situation? Um, or do you think that that's just what the conclusion that you'd come to at that point? I think it was it was a little bit of both. Like I I did really want the album to be this like one cohesive thing, and by the time it finished, it you know I was in a, a way better place at that moment in time. Like I was kind of alluding to like um, like the the first track Hampton was when I like felt entirely alone. You know. Um, it's funny because I'm pretty much revisiting that song in in a couple of the, the basically the, the concept now in the second album, but like um, it was just like such a tough time, and like I didn't have anyone that I felt comfortable talking with, and there was no real resources available to me because like you know both my parents were working and I was still working, but I still didn't have enough money to go and visit. Yeah. you know, like a, a therapist or anything. And the only initial resource available to me um, was the counselor in the university, which was a parish priest. And like, I eventually like hit such rock bottom that I was like, I just have to talk to someone about this. And then the only fucking option available to me was this parish priest who was absolutely no use. It was just like, he just wanted to hear and gossip about it. Um, you know, he was like, it was just an awful experience. Yeah. And then, so like to reach that point where you think you're completely rock bottom and that you don't have anyone there for you and that you can't trust anyone because it's like, you know, well, I can't trust my own mother because she's hurt me this much. So I obviously can't trust anyone else in the world. Like that's my my train of thought, you yeah. know. And then you finally get to someone to speak to and it's just like a parish priest who just wants to hear a bit of gossip that just like made me feel a million times worse and um like the i we gave away the first album to limerick suicide watch and i like didn't really like explain the reasoning behind it but like after speaking to that priest then i was just like solo i drove down to the river and you're talking about like how is limerick a place to grow up like as as great and all as limerick is it's it can be just like quite a difficult and depressing place at times and I was yeah. in a really bad place and you know I definitely had you know very negative thoughts in my head and I just didn't want to live anymore to be honest and um, the only thing that, that stopped me from fucking jumping in basically was just how sad like like how much pain that would put my dad through to be honest Yeah, and that was enough to stop me from doing something stupid. And then luckily like a few favors were pulled and I did get to, to speak to a proper therapist about it and managed to kind of get over that initial hump. And then I started going to these like Al-Anon meetings, which is like AA, but for not yeah, alcoholics, yeah, yeah. for people that have been family members, family affected. have been affected. And, um, it was, it was kind of there that it became apparent that like music would be, like a really good outlet for all of this yeah. um, energy that was going on. And then on the flip side, it would keep my mind away from it. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing now that I'm only kind of learning right now is that like I tend to completely bury myself in work and I'm either, I'm either working or I'm either trying to push music as much as possible. And in some ways, that's like probably running away from all of those problems yeah. that I had there from the start. But the... I kind of realized that 
by the end of the first album and and it did feel like things were moving better but like anyone that has struggled with depression knows it's it's just not as simple as it just being like yeah okay that's done that was shit and now i'm feeling better now so like it's something that i'm gonna always struggle with and um i guess that's like pretty much what the second album is about yeah do you think that the music is I don't know, I always feel like there's like a difference between like, I don't know the right words, but like music is very cathartic. And like, you know, you do it and you feel great and it does help you forget about things and you can really put yourself into it as much as you want or you can make yourself someone else as much as you want. But like, I don't know, I don't think it's like, I think it's a pl- it's quite it's a quite a plaster. It's like it's it's not very it's not as therapeutic maybe. I don't know if therapeutic's the right word, but as people would like you to imagine at times, it's just it's 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 amazing and it's incredible, but it's not getting to the root of these feelings. And I think that's the thing that takes a lot more and do you think that when you found music, you maybe stepped away from maybe the the therapy that you were talking about or the like AA family thing because you're like, well, I'm okay now. Yeah, and like, then you realize that it came back. Hundred percent. Yeah, like definitely, and like that. That's only like stuff that I'm kind of like still realizing as we go. Um, it's one of the biggest reasons why I stepped back from doing Alanon was a lot of it is based around not necessarily religion, but like a higher power. Yeah. And after everything I'd gone through with that fucking counselor priest, I was like really struggling with the concept of religion as a whole. So that kind of stopped me from going to Alan But I, I do agree what you're saying. It's like, it kind of like plugged a hole in the sense like it could fill up time and, and give me somewhat of a sense of purpose and still does. And like, I still am talking about all of this stuff that really, you know, fucking hurts me and has affected me. And it is great to like get things like that down on paper, but does it actually get down to the root causes and like, why am I feeling this way? How do I stop myself from feeling this way? Doesn't necessarily do that, you know, or at least I haven't fully figured out how, how it can do that. And maybe it doesn't. And I was maybe probably naive in thinking that was the case. Um, or idealistic. Like, yeah, which but, is a more positive spin on the word, I guess. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be more positive about it, um, so yeah, I mean, and then on the flip side, being in a band is so fucking hard that that yeah, it's very you, intense. Isn't puts it? you down as well, so it's just like like all these emotions rolling around. But I mean, I'm definitely not like it's like one of the best things in my life, and definitely one of the best things that has been kind of like given to me and like I do know that people do get something from it as well you know and people that have gone through very similar experiences so it started conversations then yeah 100% I mean like like we're talking small numbers here like I'm not fucking like you two or something but yeah yeah, no like people have still come up to me and says me and that's that's also like everything like has a flip side to it as well because that does it does make you initially feel a bit better because like, okay, like, fuck, like all these people are going through this as well. But then it's also like, God, like life can be so tragic that all these people are having to go through this same thing that made me feel so bad 
which can sometimes be overwhelming. But I suppose it, look, it's to try and teach yourself to to not focus on that and not be just playing out all of those scenarios and the worries of everyone yeah, else in your own yeah. head on top of your own Because that worries. sounds like you're doing there with the same thing as like taking on so much work and taking on so many band commitments. You're then also taking on everyone else's problems because then you don't have to think about or face your own maybe. Maybe I'm wrong, but... No, like I, I do like 100% <laughs> agree with that and like even thinking back to you know like my mother used to run an awful lot like she was like really really good at it but like part of me thinks you know like was that like was she plugging a hole that was her running, addiction like, like she made the running at, which at, took at the time and then unfortunately and then you know like that took a back seat like am, am i doing the same thing and that does genuinely worry me and like i don't really drink i didn't drink for <coughs> years partly because the whole episode just like just had such a negative impact on me. It was just like I couldn't possibly, you know, this has caused so much pain. Yeah. I, I can't, can't, can't even possibly, can't even possibly think of taking a drink. Um, but then on the other side, it's like really hereditary. So part of me is, you know, like worries that, you know, like it, it literally, it genuinely is a disease, you know. And yeah, part yeah. of me is worried that, you know, there's a long line of people that have come before me that have struggled with that. And I'm like, fuck, well, I could be next in line. So I didn't drink at all for a good while. Only very, very recently, I've started having like a pint or two. Like when we finished recording the second album, myself and Mike had a pint of Guinness. <laughs> uh, hope I'm not hanging him out to dry here now. But uh, Is he not a big drinker either then? Uh, no, he wouldn't be, but definitely not as light a drinker as I've been. But like it, it, does, it does genuinely worry me. Um, and yeah. then I do worry. Yeah, am I just plugging that hole with music? Um, but it's better it's a to be plugged. Much with more. Yeah, it's a much more it. positive thing. Yeah. Too, and I guess that thought process of questioning that is super important as well. Because, yeah, you know, like if you weren't questioning that, maybe you would be drinking, and it be negative towards your he like mental health. Or yeah, I mean, look, being aware of it is like probably the biggest step. And then being comfortable, um, like admitting that this like is something that's probably going like the effects of everything that I've gone through in my family is probably going to follow me for a long time. But that's fine, you know. Like this, these things happen and they shape you, and it's kind of how you react and go forward, forward with it. And like sometimes do lose sight of that, and then you know feel really down for certain periods. But yeah, I mean, like being aware of it and being accepting of it. I don't want to like say open about it because I think like these days in particular, like there's a lot of, you know, people always do say, talk to someone, talk to someone, which like a hundred percent agree. Like that is like essentially what you need to do. But like when you're, when you're like really struggling to, to that level where you're having like suicidal thoughts, like, the idea of talking to someone just yeah. it's it's not it's not on like for uh, at least for myself especially when you have experiences of talking to someone and it not being exactly ideal. yeah so to bring yourself to a level where you're ready to talk to someone you know like that's for myself in particular you know like that's a huge gap to bridge you know um but when you 
if if you do eventually bridge it, I mean, it it does make you feel a lot better, and just being aware of that fact does does make things better. I mean, I still do have like these last few months, just like work has really really stressed me out, but I suppose I do kind of feel like, well, look, I got through that before, so. Do you feel like you, do you at the moment have you been putting things in place to help you? Like you said that you did therapy before. Like is that something that you 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 still do or like? Because I think I don't know. Yeah, do you, do you have things that you know are going to be good? Whether it, like one in the short term, but if you know you say this could always follow you, mm-hmm. but there's ways of coming to peace with things or having a different relationship with certain things. Yeah, well, I guess like right off the bat, like um I'm way closer with my dad now since everything has happened. So like I I do go to him with a lot of stuff now that I definitely wouldn't have spoken to him about before. Yeah. Um I suppose partly because we've both gone through the same thing. Um so like that is one of the, the biggest things. Like I definitely don't do as much as I should like I haven't I actually did speak to a therapist last week but or the week before but for the first time in 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 years but I suppose I am one of those types of people who's kind of like trying to make sure everyone else is okay yeah everything else is being done and even like I would probably say the thing that brought me to the point where I hit complete rock bottom you know I I kept telling my dad, you know, like you have to go to speak to like a therapist or speak to someone, you know, you need to sort this out. And like all the while I'm like, I'm fucking million times worse. Yeah. Haven't come to terms with it whatsoever. And I still do carry those traits forward to be honest with you, Sean, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. What can I say? It's like, how, um, how was your dad's, has you, have you ever spoke to your dad as, or has your dad ever spoke to you about the lyrics in that first Anderson record? No, that's not something we've yeah. spoken about. And there's, there's a, well, you've heard the new album. There's another song on it that's, that's even kind of like harder, um, okay. to take than the first album. So, no, it's like that's that's not something we have spoken about. Do you have a relationship with your mom now? Um, I mean, it's funny you say that because she didn't really speak for years, and in the last, like, literally the last two or three weeks, she we kind of like spoke for the first time in a few years, um. And I guess part of me like does feel a little bit guilty in the sense that I know like me pretty much like like separating myself entirely from her life definitely hasn't helped her addiction. Um, I feel. But like, then again, you're. But you're, I need you to. You did what you needed e- to do exactly, and that's the like vicious circle. So. Like it, it's it it is a trade off in the tune. We have spoken like more in the last, I would say, two or three weeks than we have in the last like four four or five years. Yeah. Um. But, um, I s- still don't have an answer to that. Like, can we eventually have a relationship? Like, like a hundred percent, but it'll involve you know completely cutting out alcohol, and it's 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 just hard when you're pushed to that level. You know, it's 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 really difficult. Yeah. So. It's um, yeah, alcohol addiction or any addiction is is uh, it it's irrational, isn't it? Yeah, and like it, yeah, completely irrational. And the, the problem is like, and that's the thing that's just so like you're ripping your hair out. Is that like 
everyone can see the problem and everyone else can see the solution, which is, you know, like going to rehab or just obviously stop drinking. But like the person that's that that's the issue with, like they can't see that and you can't force them to see yeah, that either. Yeah. And I think that's probably the, the biggest thing I had to learn, you know, like I was trying to trying to force my mother to get better. And that just made me feel a million times worse because you feel helpless, really. And I think there's that has to probably be one of the worst emotions, I think, in the world is like you're like you can't help the situation. Like you see what needs to be done to make it better. But for whatever reason, you can't. You yeah. actually literally can't. And I know that just took a massive toll on me. How does it feel? So how did it feel writing and recording the song that you talked about that's on this second record? And how do you think it will feel playing that song? Um, I'm already playing it live, so it it feels it feels fine, really. It feels good. It's like go going back to that cathartic kind of situation. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I think I I carried an awful lot of shame about the the whole situation, the way it went down. Because you know you feel like just like damaged goods, like second class citizen, pretty much. Because yeah. you you think like everyone else here in this world doesn't have these problems bearing down in their chest, you know, they can get out of bed every day, whereas I have this weight of, you know, 10 tons coming down on top of me, um, whereas, you know, I can kind of look back now and, and appreciate that that's not the case. So, I mean, it has a little bit more hope. Um, like, the first album would have been buried a bit more in metaphors. Um, it's it's still literal enough. Like you obviously got those autobiographical, so I'm not saying yeah, it's yeah, like but, but like this is like very much more to the point. But I think now like I, I feel better about that, you know. I feel like there is a bit more of a platform there. So I feel like I should just be straight to the point so that people can hopefully get out of it what I'm getting out of it. And I mean like that's that's just a small benefit to it like that's not the reason why i do it at all it's like literally entirely for myself so the more yeah. the more honest i can be to myself the more i'm going to get out of it and that's kind of it's kind of the approach you took on the second album really yeah yeah okay yeah and how um yeah tell me about this second record how it differs how so i mean we'd imagine it'll be out this year yeah fingers you've, crossed you've, I mean. you've got it right it's like it's entirely done. It's mixed, mastered, artwork's done. We're just yeah. basically like trying to to like finalize someone to put it out. Really, um, you know whether that happens now or not. Like I'm going to put it out myself regardless because I think it sounds yeah. really good. Um, we did it. So the first album was tracked with Bob Cooper. Um, we did it in Manchester, and I should say as well, like Bob is just an amazing guy. Yeah, and for those batch of songs, like. I don't think anyone else could have got them sounding better. You know, I'm that's one, perfect for what you wanted. Exactly, I'm 100 percent satisfied for that first album. But second time round, um, we wanted things to be way different. Like, just wanted everything to just like sound weird as hell and like really layered, but still like have way more hooks in them. Um, and um, I was kind of freaking out when it came to it. Like, how would how would we actually do that? And I recorded a lot of stuff previously with Mike Gavin from the band Windings, um, who are their Limerick band, best band in the fucking world, pretty much. And, um, you know, he's helped out this band, like, 
like more than anyone else probably and like Mike is just so good at just if I felt like a, a part needed something you know I'll straight away just pick up the guitar whereas Mike is a person who was like I will try this fucking xylophone or okay. or like literally anything um, so I kind of wanted that involved so um, myself and Mike went out to this college in um, well sorry backtrack we tracked all the drums with Bob Cooper because he just is fucking great with drums. Yeah, yeah. So we tracked all the drums with Bob. Then myself and Mike went out to this cottage in Castletown Bear in, in County Cork, West Cork, and just in this cottage. And we tracked everything. Cottage. cottage yeah. Cool. I heard it was college to start with, but cottage. God, no. Cottage. Sorry. Little small house, middle of nowhere. The nice. electricity went in the first night because of a storm. And we were worried they weren't going to repair the electricity and that we wouldn't get to record the album. So we tracked the whole thing, like in pretty much isolation, just me and Mike. And then we got this guy. Bonavere Jobby. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> like a shittier Irish version, yeah. Um, I mean, there is a reason why he escaped to the woods. Like, not as dramatic as him, though. Like, we just yeah. drove down for a few Amazing. days. Uh, and then um, we got this guy called John Goodmanson to mix it, which to me is like the real. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell the like, listeners if they don't recognize the name. Uh, he's done stuff like Soundgarden, Death Cab for Cutie. Um, Pavement, fucking Wu Tang Clan did yeah. an entire Wu Tang Clan album. Sleater Kinney uh, only go with with. Oh no, they. I think there was one record, maybe the Woods, where they went elsewhere. Okay, and then when yeah, they got back together. And that band lost lost camp. Lost camp have done Cambosinos, everything. Yeah, after um, the first album. The, where I'd kind of well, when I had like looked up his name was the last Cloud Nothings album. So yeah. I did think that sounded amazing, and then I was yeah. like, whoa. So we're like. Um, we wanted to get someone else to mix the album, not Mike. I was very worried, like didn't know who the hell to get to do it. And it was Mike's idea. He was like, well, look, get a list of 10 dream people yeah, and just fucking chance them. And I get up a list, a list of 10 people <laughs> and uh, a couple of people got back and said no. And, um, and then John got back like almost immediately and was like, I like these songs. I'm up for doing it. What's your budget? And I said, this is my budget. And he said, uh, basically, what it would normally cost for someone like that to mix it. And that was way above our budget. And uh, luckily, you know, he's like, basically just did us a ginormous favor. Wow. And, uh, and mixed the album. And it was like, it's like such an amazing process. It sounds it's great. Like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it well, sounds... Well, not as it with me, but it, like he... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's so hard to describe. Just like the confidence it's given me since because I would always like default to think like all this music is shite and the only reason people are like listening to this or giving me shows is because I'm nice to them or I'm willing to like just be a friend. And yeah. I always like have that in the back of my head, but it's like this guy has done all these albums that I <laughs> love. He has no reason to be doing this with me or us whatsoever like he is you know it's like it's not about money it's not about you know like he already has a million people that require his time you know he obviously liked the music and saw something in it and like he like n nothing can take that away from me now yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it has like given me kind of a, a new level of confidence uh like self-confidence i guess and is yeah, it like, all a bonus from here on out then do you think pretty much is like i i can you know, like, this will always be in my hands. I'll say, you know, like, John Gummison makes this, you know, this album that's just, like, me and one of my best friends just recorded in a 
fucking Airbnb cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, like he's dealing with like, it's like pretty much all major label bands, you know, and here's a bunch of gobshites that land on to record something just in this like tiny house. Um, so yeah, I mean like everything pretty much is a bonus. Like it just, it does feel great. And it's like exactly the sound I was looking for. And he was so nice to deal with as well. Like I was worried that like a big name person that they just like try and bash this out in like an evening or something and yeah. do it half arsed. And it was the complete opposite. Like he was giving me, you know, like like more revisions than I could have asked for, you know. And yeah, that's, that's it was just so like genuinely he wanted to get as much out of it as I did. And like that just felt amazing. Like the whole process has just been a, a dream. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. Um I think we're probably close to uh rapping at this point. But um You're gonna do a rap, are you? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh but um, Marty, as you can tell, has got a great sense of humour with that little one. But um, he <laughs> likes to think that he's um, he's a good storyteller. So I <laughs> thought I'd just hand it over to Marty to finish up with uh, one of his stories. I heard a good one about his time uh, playing in Florida last year, but I'm sure that there's there's there might be some others. What, what's going to be... What's your... What are you picking out? What's your story for this tour? What? You want me to pick a story? Go on. Maybe I should tell the story about the time this band from Kingston that we toured with decided to tell my stories oh, that's when a good they were one. opening yeah, up for let's us. Do that one. Uh, <laughs> no, like... I may have... Um, yeah, so when uh, at Marty's uh, release <laughs> show, it um, obviously we played uh, two shows with him before. And he kept on getting this one story out. So I thought, you know what? We're playing before he's playing. I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> Look, man, like, the, the songs you play don't change every night. So, like, the stories aren't going to change dramatically every night. But uh, I don't know. What, what story you want me to tell? Like, there's, there's bags of them because my life is just completely ridiculous. Um, let's hear about uh, your time in Florida. Oh, in Florida? Um well, it's like that, this isn't even really that funny of a story. Um, like play that fest and how was that? It was. I should yeah, like complete disclaimer. Like it was an absolute dream. It was for it, you. Is that a dream playing the fest? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's like this fucking like ginger guy from Limerick. Like has no right to be playing a festival like that with all my favorite bands, you know. And and I was especially talking about self confidence thing, you know. Like I got on that completely on my own merit you know it wasn't through like a booking agent or any of yeah. that stuff and granted most of the bands do get there anyway yeah. but it's just like little self-confidence thing so it was amazing to to go there and do it um it was a little bit of a weird time because like basically my best friend passed away not too long beforehand so i was still like coming to terms with that and for whatever reason i was really struggling with that while i was there um because you were in the car on your own right for the first few days, uh, for the first a lot couple, of thinking, yeah, hundred percent. And some of the drives were insane. Like I drove for thirteen hours one day, fucking <laughs> one non road. nonstop, pretty much. Like uh, it was what Memphis to to Gainesville, uh, like thirteen hours nonstop, just stopping to refuel myself and this guy called Andy Thomas. Amazing though, unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and yeah, there were so many really long drives. Um, how was the show? Uh, um, in uh, how was your set at Fest? At Fest itself, 
it was great. Like there was there was a good Irish crowd at it. There's like a lot of people from Belfast go most years. So there there's all the Belfast people, a few people I toured with before, like like ducking punches and stuff, like a couple of bands like that that came down. There was like four people from Japan who are singing along who wow. I have no fucking <laughs> idea like how that happened. And I'm not claiming to be big in Japan because it was four people like well, I mean that's on the grand scheme of things it's pretty huge yeah like you know like all of a sudden done like i played to like 25 people or something or 30 people but i was also on at the same time as against me you know and that was the only time the main stage like area was like completely full so like it still felt great and felt great to be there um like it's just a bit of a mind fuck of a place it's so strange like seeing all these people that you normally just see in like Norwich once a year in the rain in like a miserable venue and then you're there like hanging out in this like fantastic like swimming pool in Florida it's crazy but then on the flip side it's just like so many people and um, myself and Bob Cooper actually like talked about this at length that we were like both kind of like struggling like I definitely like have no form of like social anxiety or anything but it was like very full yeah, especially on especially if you're sober as well I tell you what, an ocean of drunk PBR. Americans and you being sober, a large volume of drunk Americans, really annoying, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was just high five city. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that whole American tour was just ridiculous. Like slept on a pink eye couch in Lynchburg, Virginia, um, slept in a cabin in the woods, which I was told was in Nashville, which was like an hour outside of Nashville and genuinely thought I was going to get murdered. Um, it was just like shit like that happening like every single day. Nice. Unbelievable. Cool. Um, we didn't get the anecdote that I was hoping for, but we should probably call it around there. Um, what are your plans for the rest of the year? Um, we're going to finish out this tour with Sean and then um, take... Um, it's too late to tell the actual story you're looking for, so is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's grand because I, I didn't want to be naming names here okay. and like shoot myself in the foot. Uh, but anyway, trombone flare from Less Than Jake the dickhead uh so for the rest of the year um yeah finish out this tour with sean and then take a little bit of a break for a while and then release the second album in september do a full band tour in ireland okay, uh, cool. tour tour europe again and just take it from there really sweet so you'll be back in the uk if for the uk listeners that want to check it out hopefully um, we'll see fingers crossed it's all up in the air but yeah fingers crossed yeah sweet um cool thank you marty um anything you want to say or are you about there uh thank you i really appreciate it and i've listened to all the podcasts so far <laughs> and genuinely yeah like genuinely each one's just been better and better and really enjoyed it and keep up the good work sean appreciate it yurt yurt hey thank you for listening Um, This podcast was mixed and edited by Liam. You can find him at Liam C Audio. The song that you're listening to is the first single from Anna Zanka's new record, Everybody's Welcome. It's called Washed Out Corridor. Um, If you enjoyed this, please tell your friends. Take care of yourself and catch you soon.
Cover.